friends. This is Cliff Knight from Equippers International. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We want to lift up Jesus and provide a place for you to learn more about Him and to grow in your relationship with Him. If you find the podcast helpful, feel free to share it with others. We believe it will be a source of blessing and encouragement, and you will be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. Welcome back to the Equippers International Podcast. We're studying the book of Romans, and we are starting chapter 3 in this episode. But before we dive into chapter 3, I thought it would be a good time for us to go back into a little bit of review and to see where we've been. We're 20-some episodes into our study of the book of Romans, and we've covered lots of ground. So let's just go back and review a little bit. You'll remember that Paul starts the letter with a classical greeting, and he has some wonderful things to say about the nature of the gospel and about his own calling and being set apart for the purpose of the gospel. And remember, this whole book of Romans is really just about that. It's about the gospel, and it's about him laying out his understanding of the righteousness of God. He gives us that wonderful statement in chapter 1, verse 18, where he defines the gospel as the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, and that in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And Paul then moves into a very lengthy discussion in the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, where he's laying out the general condition of mankind in that they have all fallen into a condition of idolatry, where they've traded the truth for a lie, where they have been unfaithful to God's design for them, not only on a universal human level, but he also then begins to appeal to the Gentiles and to the Jews specifically. And through chapter 2, Paul really takes up the discussion with his fellow Jews, and he's going to deal specifically with their attitude concerning the law and concerning their own hypocrisy and that they don't remain faithful to God's calling for them to be a testimony and a light unto the Gentiles. And instead, the exact opposite ends up being true, that God's name is actually blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. Then he takes up the topic of the covenant sign of circumcision circumcision at the end of chapter two. And that's where we've ended in the last episode. And Paul's now going to do something that he does very regularly in this book of Romans. He doesn't do it so much in his other letters, but he does it a lot in the book of Romans. He takes up a dialogue with his readers and he responds to questions that he would anticipate that they would have as a result of reading the letter. And this is exactly what he does in the beginning of chapter three. So I want to read the first eight verses of chapter 3, and then we'll make our commentary on that and then bring the episode to a close. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision, great in every respect? First of all, that they are entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judging. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, 
Why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Well, this is a very dense little paragraph, and there's tons of things to look at. It's like walking through a little riverbed and uncovering little rocks here and there and looking underneath and trying to discern exactly what Paul's communicating. But I think if we just take our time and walk through it, we can make some sense of it. Now, Paul is obviously anticipating the Jews responding to him as a result of reading the better part of chapter 2 and to say, well, why are you being so hard on us? I mean, we were the covenant people of God. We were the chosen ones. And he anticipates that they would ask this question, what is the advantage of being a Jew? Or even what is the advantage or the benefit of circumcision? And Paul says, great in every way. And he does this in a couple different places in the book of Romans. And I think one of the best ways to understand what he does when he asks these questions and then he turns around and he says, great in every way. He's basically saying he's not willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. He's saying, look, just because you have been unfaithful to your calling of God to be a witness and a light to the nations, it doesn't mean that God was unrighteous or unfaithful. It doesn't mean that your calling was still not meaningful. It doesn't mean that this was all for naught. He says, no, it was actually great in every way. He says, you were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, this is a unique word that Paul uses only here in Romans, and it's the idea of a messenger. You know, I was thinking about it when I prepared for this episode. I liked the movie series, The Matrix. And you remember, if you've seen The Matrix, you remember they go to the Oracle all the time, and the Oracle gives these deep, profound insights into the nature of the world and what Neo and his cohorts are facing and trying to destroy the Matrix or get to the bottom of what it's all about. And so the Oracle has these insights and this deep wisdom. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying you were chosen as a nation to have the wisdom of God for the nations. You were chosen to be the ones that would speak on God's behalf, and you failed to do that. And he asked the question, if some of the Jews did not believe, then their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? This idea of belief here that Paul's taking up is not necessarily the idea of faith in the more evangelical, traditional sense or understanding of believing in God for salvation. It really carries the idea of being faithful to a calling. What he's saying is that if the Jews were not faithful to their calling to fulfill the purpose of God that he had for them as a nation, it doesn't mean that God is not faithful. And so he doesn't want them to fall into a trap and to be confused that if we blew it, then maybe God has a different plan. This is something that Paul's really going to focus in on in this whole book of Romans is that God has not abandoned his covenant commitment to Israel. In fact, he's done exactly what he promised he would do, and he's done it through the one that he sent on their behalf, Jesus Christ. And we're going to unpack that as we move on in the book. So Paul's saying that God will never be unfaithful. And he uses this phrase a couple times, and he's going to use it throughout the book, may it never be. 
That's really the hardest way that Paul can emphatically say no. You know, I had a Greek professor in seminary, and this is kind of adult content, and I'm going to use it just as a way of illustration. But he says, if we look at the Greek structure here, it would be as close to Paul swearing and saying, hell no. He's saying, may it never be. There is no way that God is going to be unfaithful. He says, rather, let God be found true and let every man be a liar. And then he quotes from Psalm 52 when David's great confession there, when he's called out in his sin and he's in the process of experiencing restoration of God in his life. And he quotes that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judging. Literally, it says there when you are judging, not when you are judged. David's not saying that God is the one being judged. He's saying that in his judging, he is just and right in what he's doing. So he will never be found unrighteous or unfaithful in the way that he executes his judgment or in the way that he walks out his covenant commitment to his people. Now, it's a bit challenging to understand exactly what Paul's saying in verses 5 and 6. But basically what he's saying is that in Israel's unfaithfulness, in their unrighteousness, God continues in his faithfulness, and he actually works in this situation of Israel's unfaithfulness and their unrighteousness to demonstrate his righteousness. So now Paul asks this hypothetical question, and he says in parentheses in my Bible, he says, I'm speaking in human terms now. So he's kind of along the line of reasoning as people would reason in their mind, thinking the situation through. He says, if in our unrighteousness, God wants to demonstrate his righteousness, how then can he have wrath? How can he have judgment on people and still be righteous and still be faithful to his covenant? Paul's addressing a notion in his readers that he knows is there, that if God shows judgment, if he pours out his wrath, as we've looked at previously already, and he chooses to do that, will he not be unrighteous? It's kind of like a human reasoning. Like, how can a righteous God actually judge people? You hear that argument all the time. And this is exactly what Paul's taking up. He's saying, no, 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 may it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? He said God has to be able to act in a position of being the judge. It's exactly what David recognized in Psalm 52. He says, you are justified in your words of judging my life. You are in a position to be able to declare to me that I'm wrong. We can't take this ability of God to pass judgment out of the picture because it's a very important part of God fulfilling his righteous covenant with people and to remain faithful to do what he said he's going to do. And he says in verse 7, But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? Now, Paul uses the first person, I, here. He might be talking about his own personal life, but I think what he does is he kind of steps into the position of a Jew on behalf of all Jews. And he says on their behalf, okay, so if through my lie, or other words, through my unrighteousness, the truth of God abounds to his glory, meaning that this whole thing plays through and God shows his faithfulness to his covenant promises by actually 
actually redeeming us to bring glory to his own name, then why am I still being judged as a sinner? In other words, why am I experiencing judgment? I mean, wouldn't God just acquit me? Wouldn't he just come along and say, well, okay, since I'm faithful, I know you've been unfaithful, but since I'm faithful, I'm going to have grace for you and I'm not going to judge you at all. And Paul says, that can't happen. God has to follow through. And then in verse 8, he makes this statement. Rather, why don't we say, as some slanderously accuse us of saying... Now, Paul's talking about people that are coming along behind him after he does his ministry in places, and then they're bringing Paul's integrity in question by saying, you know, didn't Paul say this? And what are they accusing Paul of saying? They're accusing Paul of saying, let us do evil that good may come. Now, on a specific level, he's saying if through Israel's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness is revealed and it demonstrates his righteousness in him following through in his covenant commitment, then why not just be unfaithful? Because that just elevates the glory of God more. And on a universal level, he's going to take up this idea in Romans chapter 6. And he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds, then why don't we just sin more so that grace can abound more? The idea is exactly the same here. And Paul's saying, we are slanderously accused of saying this. Why don't we just continue to do evil so that all good can come? Because God's going to remain faithful anyway. And Paul's saying that anybody with that attitude... They deserve their judgment. So it's a very difficult passage on one level, just the semantics of moving through Paul's discussion. So let me just summarize what I believe Paul's done in this section and try to bring some point of contemplation for us today. So Paul's talking to the Jews, and he's just telling them that their unfaithfulness does not mean that God is going to be unfaithful. In fact, God will follow through in his faithfulness, and this is actually what makes him justified in everything that he does in the gospel. He's not like Israel. He's not like those who he called into this covenant relationship who did not uphold their end of the covenant. He is faithful and righteous. And because of that, he is in a position to be able to bring judgment. He's in a position to be able to show his righteous actions through the gospel. So this section is just another step in Paul's process of methodic building this case. And he's going to wrap up this section in the next episode. We'll see where he brings every single person definitively under the condition of sin. And remember, where's Paul going with this whole discussion? He's moving in the direction of the righteousness of God. He is going to show the ultimate righteous action of God in the gospel as God's faithful response to all of man's disobedience. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more. 